Welcome to The O Show, your number one podcast for everything training, mindset, and nutrition. I am your host, Oren McCurry, and it is my goal to help you access the best information around to allow you to kick ass in the gym, in the kitchen, and most importantly, in your head. Between my own experiences and those of my amazing guests, I'm confident we will do that. So let's strap in and level up your life starting right now. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, guys, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to today's episode of The O Show. I am your host, Oren McCurry, and today is a special one because it is the first episode of season two. We made it through all 52 episodes. I set that target at the end of last month. I was like, how am I going to get these last seven or so episodes nailed? And we got there in the end. So season two is going to be much of the same. Same host, same name, same everything, just some different guests trying to dive a little bit deeper into picking the best minds about topics that they are really, really knowledgeable about. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce my guest. It's Mr. Joe Jeffrey, all the way from the UK. How are we, Joe? Yeah, not too bad, man. It's, this is a good time for me to do a podcast because normally it seems they're like either really late at night or like really early in the morning. So for anybody listening, it's midday for me here, which is good podcast time. My brain right. is still awake. <laughs> I will remember this for future episodes because we're going to get you back for a few more, mate. So I'll get it locked in at 12 o'clock your time when the brain's firing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, mate, yeah. if people don't follow you, who is Joe Jeffrey? And I know that's quite a like a deep question. You can go as deep as you want. But tell me a bit about who you are, how long you've been coaching and everything. Because people will probably see me tag you and stuff, but maybe they haven't actually clicked in and followed you. So let's give them a bit of a rundown. Yeah, it's a deep question, but I'm not much of a deep guy, so it won't take long. Um, so, as you said, my name's Joe Jeffrey. I've been coaching physique athletes, male and female, for about six years. And my niche has always been either competitors or people searching for quote-unquote optimal, hence like my first podcast that I ever started with, Austin Stout, that's still going on. It's called Optimal Physique Development. So... Over the years, worked with hundreds of competitors and, and whatnot um, to, to search for that optimal. Um, I also now have a team of coaches under me at Physique Collective. That's also a membership site where I put all of my content now. Um, and we've got absolutely everything on there. I handle the, the PD side of things and a lot of training related stuff, but then you have Gareth that does a lot of night shift and nootropic based stuff, Matt that covers the mindset stuff and Christian that just covers the rubbish, um, whatever he does, like talking about prep and talking about food and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and and it, it's pretty much that simple, man. I've just, um, I'm very interested in evidence-based coaching. I would say my, if you had to pin me down on a speciality, it's always been PED for the most part. Um, which is pretty relevant to what we're going to be talking about today, given we're going to be talking about hormones in the form of hormonal birth control mm -hmm. for females. Um, so that's my greatest area of interest. And in terms of my professional life, that that's pretty much it. Nice, man. Nice. And I can remember, um, I think I've been following you for just over a year. And I remember I was doing some learning with Dr. Dean at the time and I kept seeing your name pop up like Joe Jeffrey was before the physique collective tag got added on the end of it. And uh, I was like, who is this guy who keeps popping up? And then I was like, Oh, cool. It's, 
he just talks a lot about drugs on his story. And I was like, that's your, obviously was your level of expertise. But then when we dived in and I started to follow you, I realized your knowledge, like you basically just, you're a, a machine in terms of what you read and you study and the level of knowledge. So like having you as the first guest on the podcast is the second season is a huge win because I've listened to you talk on other podcasts about stuff like this birth control or another topic, which we're going to talk about in future is um, performance enhancing drugs for male and females. But like, I really enjoyed listening to you speak because it just, there's a, a certain clarity with it where you just tell, you know what you're talking about. Like we joked at the start of this, you're like, I love podcasts. Cause it just, it's not scripted. It's like, it makes me prove that I know my shit. And, and that comes across in anything that I've listened to before me. So uh, I'm, I'm hugely excited for this one. It's been on the bucket list for a while. Thanks, man. I think that's like the difference is like, I, I love this stuff. You know, this for me isn't just like, right, I better get this stuff written up for this podcast or something. You know, I haven't written anything like we were just yeah. saying. Like, I, don't, I didn't even really know what we were going to talk about, but I, I like to test myself. And yeah, I, I love this stuff. This is what I'm genuinely um, interested in. And that's probably um a bit of a clue for up-and-coming coaches is like you're gonna have to love it because if yeah. you don't you're not going to be able to put in the the hours and hours and hours of study or the investment into mentorships and things like that that you're going to need to cover stuff like this yeah man 100 100 percent. so let's dig into the topic then mate because people now know who you are they i will shout out your instagram at the end so people can go follow and tag you and everything but Birth control is a big one because pretty much every female in the world will have been on some form of birth control at some stage. And whether that's been from a really young age to deal with stuff like clearing their skin up, which is arguably like the worst reason ever to go on birth control, or it's literally just to stop um, pregnancy. Because as we know, modern day guys do not want to use something. And that's another reason that females are taking the burden on. So let's talk about the different types of birth control out there because everyone will have a different experience. You know, you talk to people and some of them have the IUD, some of them take the pill, some of them have the, um, the coil and the, the injection in the arm and all sorts of different variant variants. So let's talk about what's out there and yeah, let's just talk about the differences between them, I guess, to start. Yeah. I mean, you could put it under a pretty basic, um, schema there so like you said like birth control is an umbrella term for lots of different deployments for men and women i think for for simplicity's sake we could pretty much put them into like the barrier method so like you said the the example of the coil or condoms or something like that it's, it's exactly what it says a barrier to driving pregnancy and then other than that you have something that's going to drive a physiological change which is where hormonal birth control comes in so separating them out into non-hormonal and hormonal birth control is important from the off and then understanding that hormonal birth control has physiological effects and non-hormonal birth control doesn't so we're talking yeah. about things like performance and, and body composition we it's only really worth discussing hormonal birth control so for that purpose we will only really be talking about hormonal birth control in here because other methods just don't have the concern that yeah these do on athlete's performance or body composition or anything like that yeah 100 so 
Let's talk about that then in terms of the potential changes that would go on with hormones and performance levels and how that affects body composition as well and how it relates to the different types and different um, deployment methods and what they actually deploy in the body and how they change the hormones. Yeah, there's a lot in there, right? Let me break yeah, it down. Yeah, sorry, break it down a bit. If we do it one by one, I'm thinking if somebody that's never looked into this, probably first thing you want to know is maybe this is how we could break it down. Like how do they work firstly? So what does taking an exogenous, and for anybody that doesn't know, exogenous essentially means outside of yourself hormone that you put in yourself. How does that work to drive birth control? Um, and then what hormones are used and what they do would be a good one. And then potentially how they're used. Should we yep. go down that line? That way. So the way that they work basically is via a process called negative feedback inhibition. So anybody that's taken anabolic androgenic steroids before, anybody that's taken, well, maybe to some degree exogenous recombinant human growth hormone before, you, you should you should know what this is, where essentially you take the exogenous hormone, you take the hormone exogenously, your brain thinks that endogenous levels are normal or sufficient or higher. Um, therefore, it ceases production of this hormone via some degree of inhibition. So within hormonal birth control, you see inhibition of LH, which is luteinizing hormone, and FSH, which is follicle stimulating hormone. And what these do is LH reduction prevents estrogen production in the ovary, whilst a reduction in FSH is called follicle stimulating hormone. You can imagine what it does. It prevents a follicle from developing or being released. So ovulation doesn't occur essentially with, with this reduction. And any men listening to this that have taken anabolic steroids that have gone and got your blood work done, you'll see you also have no LH and FSH because you're doing the same thing to yourself here. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. you are ceasing your own HPG axes or, or a, a female may use the term HPO, axes function. So your own sex steroid axes, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, so on and so forth, turns off. And that's important to know that. It's important to note that the axes turns off because if you just put one in, one hormone, the whole axis turns off. And that's something worth knowing when it comes to weighing up the, the risks and the benefits of using these. So basically, to sum up, you put it in, your own turns off. That's that. Okay. That's pretty basic. We can get we can get that, I think. Yeah. Now within female hormonal birth control, there's two primary hormones. Um, you'll either be given progesterone only, so progestin only, or a combination estrogen and progesterone yeah um so it may be worth going through just what these hormones do firstly yep that might be a good one um so estrogen is like um the best you know double thumbs up to this one Does all, <laughs> like all mostly good stuff so it of course plays a major role in the development of female sexual characteristics it controls fat deposition post-puberty primarily in the lower body and the breast, you know, what we would call female fat patterning. Um, so that doesn't sound good. However, note that it inhibits fat storage in these same areas via stimulating the beta adrenergic receptor. So PD people listening to this are thinking clenbuterol, beta adrenergic receptor. It's the way that lipolysis occurs. You don't need to know too much about that, but understand also that it increases 
free fatty acid mobilization, as well as limiting visceral fat storage. So these are all very good things. If you're in a calorie deficit, if you can stimulate the beta adrenergic receptor and pull more triglycerides out of the fat cell, if you can increase fatty acid mobilization, um, decrease visceral fat storage with something you definitely won't want. These are all very good things. Yeah. You know, especially if you're using other drugs that do the same thing like growth hormone, but I, I get carried away. I'm talking about the PD synergy. So I'll try and keep this as close to birth control as possible. Um, although I will put in here and sorry, I'm bouncing around a bit. Pretty much all of the women I work with are enhanced. So these are the things we need to look at if we're discussing how do we avoid masculinization, aka virilization as much as possible. Look at all this cool stuff estrogen does. Okay, yeah. that doesn't drive virilization. Hey, if we can increase fatty acid mobilization with estrogen and growth hormone, do we get one plus one equals three? This lovely fat loss effect without having to go here. You know, start to think along these lines. Um, because it's all very much interwoven. Anyway, so hence, as women progress through menopause, these lipolytic benefits are lost, which is why body fat tends to increase. So something to note is when women are put on hormone replacement therapy, these um, negative consequences are attenuated. Um, so the benefits of HRT are, are obvious here. Another thing about estrogen is... Uh, a reduction in appetite that you can see most pronounced at the peak of estradiol. Estradiol is a, a metabolite of estrogen, the most important for any premenopausal woman, for pretty much every woman listening to this. Estradiol or E2, this is the only real metabolite of estrogen you should be interested in, reduces appetite. Sounds good for a fat loss phase. Um, it increases bone mineral density, as does resistance training. We need that. It increases insulin sensitivity, uh, therefore improving nutrient partitioning and with what we mentioned about fatty acid mobilization, the ability to use a lot, use a lot, utilize fat as an energy substrate in low to moderate intensity exercise. Um, it does also seem to lower protein requirements. This is maybe through its stimulation of I, hepatic IGF-1, um, another thing that it would synergize with growth hormone. Something to note for people listening to this, that resistance strain, estrogen increases the storage of intramuscular triglycerides, which especially for women act as a fuel during resistance training. Mm -hmm. It reduces inflammation. It reduces free radical damage. So lower oxidative stress reduces muscle soreness, potentiates the remodeling of skeletal muscle. There's many trials that show that strength and size gains are increased when estrogen is at its highest. So it, all of this really good stuff about estrogen and remember what I said on the mechanism of action where you put one in and the others reduce. Yeah. So that's, it's important to note for progestin only birth control. If you're not taking the estrogen with it, you lose out on all of this stuff. Yeah. So now we go on to what progesterone does. So next to estrogen, it's the other primary reproductive hormone in women. It shares a pretty similar structure to other hormones, such as testosterone, cortisol, and um, mineral corticoids, which can cause some cross binding. So at the cortisol receptor itself, it sends a weak cortisol signal because it's got reduced binding affinity as compared to the cortisol itself but this reduces cortisol signaling 
um, and at the mineral corticoid and androgen receptors, it occupies the receptor and blocks natural binding, um, which will reduce fluid retention and androgenic side effects. But for people listening to this that are bodybuilders, do you want to be occupying your androgen receptors? You know, mm-hmm. or do you want androgens to bind there and transcribe anabolism? You know what they're supposed to do? No. Mm-hmm. Um, progesterone induces body fat storage in the lower body via activation of various enzymes. Uh, one researcher has since coined this, the female storage enzyme. Not good. Um, it induces insulin resistance, um, which although on the surface it looks to be a benefit by mobilizing fat for fuel, it increases the use of intramuscular triglycerides, not fat from a fat cell, from an adipocyte. So, you know, that's shit as well. Um, yeah. Sorry, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? You are, yeah, go ahead, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, progesterone increases hunger and cravings. Any, like, normally cycling woman knows this from the progesterone peaks of their hormonal cycle. Um, there's some studies that show the increase of progesterone and drop of estrogen in the luteal phase causes an increase of energy intake up to 500 calories a day. So if you're a woman in contest prep with some high progesterone, very hard. You know, reduction of estrogen, which we know reduces appetite, plus an uptick of progesterone, the drive to ad libitum eat 500 more calories a day when you might only be eating a thousand. It's very yeah. difficult. So unfortunately, you're put in the perfect environment for overeating with high progesterone. So being able to effectively store this energy as body fat plus the high appetite yeah, sucks. So, th- but this is to ensure sufficient availability of substrate should pregnancy occur. So it's like an evolutionary adaptive mechanism. You know, it's, it's all good for you to be um, fat enough for you to have a child and there be an abundance of food. Um, so. Within resistance training, progesterone blocks estrogen's effects on muscular remodeling. And as we said, blocks the effects of androgens. It decreases protein synthesis and increases protein breakdown. So if you're messing with that protein turnover ratio, modulating that negatively in the contest prep, having high progesterone sucks. So that's basically what these two do. Estrogen, in my opinion, very, very good for bodybuilders, progesterone, not so good but the question of course becomes like rather than extrapolating all of these things um what actually happens in the real world you know yeah and uh, we can get to that so first now that we know what the hormones do we could probably look at how they're used so um combined birth control is is one which is as it says contains both synthetic progesterone and estrogen um, and in terms of body composition, you see minor differences depending on the type used. Um, and when I say type, we would be talking about whether it's dosed in a triphasic pattern or in a monophasic pattern. So that sounds a bit crazy, but it's pretty simple. Like triphasic is dosed to mimic endogenous hormonal changes during the cycle. So basically, estrogen is increased in the middle part of the cycle and progesterone is increased twice over the entire cycle. So I don't know if anyone knows what the hormonal cycle looks like. If we had like days one to 28 mapped, testosterone would be pretty flat with like a a little bump around days 13 and 16, 
although remember this is like um, very biologically into individual but statistically average it'd have a bump and then it would come back down to where it was and just maybe slightly trend line up towards day 28 so estrogen you have this like very slight positive trend up to like a week and then a big spike up to about two weeks and then it dips off and then a slow positive line up to like day 22 then it dips off but the main thing to know is that you're estrogen dominant in your follicular phase um so progesterone is pretty low through the follicular phase starts to raise at about a week in but it's still lower than estrogen and then progesterone will begin to head up maybe day 16 peak around day 20 a lot higher than estrogen so we're now progesterone dominant in the luteal phase and then dip off hard towards day 28 where everything begins to flatline so thing to remember follicular phase estrogen dominant luteal phase progesterone dominant and this is how triphasic birth control is dosed so what i said estrogen is increased in the middle part of the cycle progesterone is increased twice over the entire cycle um Studies on birth control here, weight does appear to fluctuate throughout the cycle, but it returns to baseline. This is purely due to the estrogen modulation. Estrogen does increase fluid retention. You know, we know that. Um, the question becomes where, and that can depend on things because intramuscular fluid is awesome. Um, <laughs> you know, so that's another thing to remember for you competitors listening. Low estrogen is not always good. Um, yeah. In fact, it can be the worst. So, um, Triphasic birth control does seem to cause some fat gain after sustained use. Um, you see a large number of subjects, and I can give anybody references. I could send you over references for, for these yeah. if you want. So a large number of subject gain, like more than five pounds um, over the long, long term. And this is likely due to the higher progesterone in the final week. Um, so monophasic birth control is where you're at a flat line there's no modulation you're not trying to um match the endogenous hormone fluctuations like monophasic just holds the same line of estrogen and progesterone throughout um across the entire 21 day pill cycle so note there's that gap at, at the end where you've, you've removed the pill for no real reason in fact that a bit of like history for you that final week was there simply to make women feel a bit more normal is you're not okay. going to have hormone. Yeah. Yeah. You, so you'll get, you'll, you'll have a bleed typically, but it doesn't as anybody that's used hormones knows, you don't stop taking it. And then the next day cool, you know, back to normal function. Sometimes it can take very long. Sometimes it can take forever. Sometimes yeah. it's never happening. Um, anyway, so monophasic retains the same level of progesterone and estrogen across the entire pill cycle, which is 21 days. And this has a very smaller effect. You see an increase of like three to four pounds, which holds. And this is likely just fluid retention from the estrogenic component. So the only people this is really applicable for is if you're trying to hit a weight cap, you know, if you're in mm -hmm. a martial arts sport or you're like the top end of your weight class on something, this, this could, yeah. you know, make the difference for you. Um, worth mentioning, there's some new or newer combined birth control that seems to decrease fat mass. Um, so when you include CMA, which is a fourth generation of progestin, it's too complicated. There's many different generations of progestins from many different like skeleton molecules that they 
um, synthesized over the years. Um, so when you combine this fourth generation progestin with EE2, which is ethanol estradiol, it's just the synthetic version of estrogen that, that is used. There's a small decrease in fat mass after six cycles. Now, CMA is anti-androgenic, which is likely how it balances the effects of estrogen on fluid retention. Um, more importantly, the selective action of CMA on progesterone receptors is likely how it attenuates the gain in fat mass driven by other progestational molecules. So selective binding is a very interesting thing in science. Now, you know, we're trying to do it with androgens with selective androgen receptor modulators. We're essentially talking about like a selective progesterone receptor modulator, which acronym is sperm, by the way, which is quite weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or sperm. sperm. Um, that's cool. It's probably coming. Who knows when, if ever that could happen. But that, that's an aside. That's not really that important. Um, okay. So other than combined, sorry, I'm sort of blazing through this. Let me know if I'm not explaining. No, this is good. It's good. Um, so other than combined, the one that we're left with is, is progestin only, which is obvious. You just take progesterone, right? Yeah. Um, there's a mean increase of just under four pounds after six to 12 months of use. So not a lot. Um, there's an exception, which is Depot Provera, which is, you mentioned the injection right at the beginning. That's yep. what this is. Um, I'm in no position to have any ethical influence on what any contraception anybody uses, but I will say, don't use this. Um, <laughs> across the board has the worst outcomes. I have no idea why it's still prescribed, maybe because it's, um, you know, very easily managed, you know, a single injection at an infrequent basis. Um, anyway, individuals that use Depot Provera, if you ever see DMPA, that's the uh, acronym, um, there's a mean increase of 11 pounds in body weight, nine pounds of body fat, which is 3.4% within 36 months of use. It's not very nice. Um, so that's the one that I would avoid. The progesterone only seems rather inconsequential. So, but the interesting thing to note from this is we went through what all these hormones do, and it's like they're destructive. In real life, not a great deal happens, you know. Yeah. Um, but let me also put this in. Very, very few studies, in fact, only one that I can find on physique athletes where a lot of this stuff matters. Would the outcome be different in our cohort? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we can go through these studies like, in fact, yeah, let's talk about research, right? So first thing to note is there's a massive degree of biological inter-individuality, which essentially means the variety between subjects can be huge. So one study I've read, there's a woman that gains 15 pounds and another that loses 32 pounds. So yeah. And what's, what's driving this, you know, these aren't calorie controlled people on this very specific resistance training program and things like this. In another study, overall, the copper IUD, which I know we're not discussing, but um, worth talking about, it shows no weight gain as compared to hormonal birth control groups gaining three or four pounds over a year. However, and this is why any prospective coach listening to this, any prospective educator, don't just read the abstract. Either sci-hub the full paper if you're broke, which I'm not encouraging, or <laughs> buy the paper, but be prepared to spend some money. Um, so when I, I read the abstract of this paper, you're going to see something like, yeah, you know, hormonal birth control groups gain like three or four pounds over a year. You think, okay, not a lot. 
yeah. inconsequential. However, look at the individual participants and the variation is bananas. So within this same study, one woman in the hormonal birth control group gained 72 pounds. Wow. And one lost 35 pounds. <laughs> and wow. the, we average it into this like three or four pounds over a year. It's like, yeah, but what does that mean? Yeah. You know, what does that mean when you look at the individual variation? So it's like, do we actually know anything about what this does with any reliability? Nah, not really. Um, and the variations within the non-hormonal birth control group were about the same. So was there even a difference between yeah. non-hormonal and hormonal? So we have study design issues. The intake and the expenditure is not controlled. So we need to, the obvious question is, are there studies on athletes? Um, a handful. So firstly, there's two studies using a low-dose monophasic progesterone only. So to touch base on what we know about that, low-dose, that's self-explanatory. Monophasic stays the same. Progesterone only, they only take progesterone. Um, and they were runners. And they gained a touch less weight and gained a touch more lean body mass over two years, which doesn't really make sense. But they were non-statistically significant changes, which means they were within the realms of, you know, whatever. It didn't, yeah. it, it wasn't significant enough to mean that anything happened. Um, another one, athletes that were cycling normally or suffering from oligomenorrhea, there were very slight increases in body fat in the oligomenorrhea women as compared to the women cycling normally, but they were also leaner to begin, to begin with. You know, so what's really going on there? There's another study where active women using monophasic birth control containing estrogen gained a little over four pounds over six months. However, when they dropped it, the fluid came off. So there was no real change there. The fluid just modulated with the estrogen. Um, now there's several studies that note an increase in body weight, which lands around 2% and body fat, which lands around 8% over four to five months of triphasic birth control use. So it does seem that over time, that high progesterone exposure does drive body fat accrual. Um, now, here's a good one. There's one case study on female physique athletes. Awesome. Our cohort. I say that. I don't really know the cohort that listens to your podcast. I'm going to assume that, that there's loads of female bikini competitors listening to this because you attract women, obviously. Um, they're, they're, they're on a mix of hormonal birth control. A mix. And all of them reached their contest prep goals, every single one of them. So that tells us that by no means, I think we should already know this, are these hormones somehow defying the laws of thermodynamics? Yeah. Um, we, we again just have to move into the optimality point there. Yeah. Um, so we could conclude here, as a whole, hormonal birth control does appear to alter body composition in this way. So monophasic will drive fluid retention via estrogen increases, specifically estradiol, E2. Triphasic does drive some fat gain mediated by the increases in progesterone in that final week. Progesterone only sees higher fat gain, especially and I mean it when I say especially because there's a massive difference in the long-acting analogs like the Depot Provera. Um, 
And that's the, the, the easy summary on it. So if you're going to use a hormonal birth control, you're, you're probably best looking at monophasic deployments of a combined estrogen progesterone. Um, yeah. But there's some things that you have to think about. So if we come back to, let's say we've decided that's what we're going to do. We have to come back to what else is on this hormonal axis that we're turning down. Androgens is the one, you know. So if we're shutting down the whole axis, we're putting estrogen in there, we're putting progesterone in there, cool. Um, but our testosterone is going to reduce. Um, yeah. Now there's good data that you can use things like uh, DHEA supplementation, 50 milligrams a day is good. Um, what's even better than that would be testosterone to replace the whole axis, you know, but it's very hard to, to have a woman take an injectable testosterone. Although, you know, these um, 10 milligram per mil um, testosterone solutions are very common in the female PD world. Now, um, for somebody that just wanted ease of access, which is a big point in, you know, research and development of these drugs, uh, I, I would recommend DHEA as a minimum, you know, 50 milligrams a day of DHEA alongside your birth control. But um, if you want to do it perfect, unfortunately, you're either going to have to pay the cost of the androgen attenuation. We know what that means. You know, androgens are responsible for many a good thing, primarily binding at the androgen receptor and turning on the machinery that leads to things like muscle protein synthesis and mTOR stimulation. So growing new muscle tissue, driving protein accretion. Um, if you're looking for optimality, you probably want to put the testosterone in there. But also know that if you put the testosterone, if you use testosterone, you could take the estrogen out because testosterone aromatizes into estrogen. So the yeah, testosterone yeah. molecule will bind with the aromatase enzyme. Everybody has a genetically coded androgen to estrogen ratio, or testosterone to estradiol ratio. If you want to be more specific, you won't need the, the estrogen in there. And the question becomes, then becomes further down the line. Well, if if we're turning off FSH and LH with testosterone, what do we need the progesterone for? Good question. Not a lot, really. Um, so it only does rubbish stuff. Well, okay, There's a yeah. lot of considerations to make, you know? There's a lot of um, thought that has to go into this, where you want to go and how optimal you want it to be or how easy you want it to be. Because it's a lot harder to inject a, a testosterone you know, the average replacement dose of testosterone for women is around three milligrams. Let's say you're injecting one milligram three days a week. You know, you've got to now put a pin in yourself three days a week as compared to yeah. taking a pill. Yeah, right. exactly. And that's that's not realistic for the majority of people who maybe aren't chasing optimal, right? A lot of people for stage <laughs> will be, but like the downside of pinning three times a week is far outweighs the, the potential hormones thing in, in their their minds so what i did want to pick your brain about joe was obviously when the doctor's prescribing birth control the mm -hmm. the female has a choice so they can decide whether to get the pill the implant the coil whatever they decide to do um but how is it decided whether it's going to be monophasic versus triphasic and combination versus progesterone is that going to be from the doctor or does the female have any input with that in my experience, it's typically the doctor just has the one that they use. Um, yeah. And usually it's just the progesterone only monophasic. 90% of the time these days, it's just the progesterone only monophasic or the Depo-Provera. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, for the most part, the doctor also won't 
tell you that you are using an exogenous hormone, exactly the same as taking anabolic steroids, really. So you are going to shut down a system that if you want to come off, isn't easy for everybody. Yeah. You know, I do have consultations with women that have no HPO axis function after sustained female birth control. Um, I'll say that's, that's the, the minority, but it does happen. It's a risk to understand, you know, it's good for you to understand the risk. The unfortunate yeah. thing is these like, you know, 15, 16 year old girl goes to the doctor, wants some birth control. Here you go there, you know, whatever, yeah. here it is. Um, without explaining everything that we've gone through in here and having any sort of objective knowledge about what they're actually doing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So like for a lot of people, like we've been on for about probably 35 minutes now or so, like a lot of people probably have had a lot of eye opening experiences when you've been talking about everything that goes on with this and how it can be affected. So for example, what would the steps be for somebody who, like, is there any negatives for somebody who then says, well, hang on, I would rather change my birth control to be on something more. They, they want, say, for example, they want to stay on it, but they realize that one may be better. Is there any downsides to moving from one to the other, or are they all pretty much going to be the same? Like, um, will they feel the same? It depends which direction you're going in. So if you're on a if you're on a combined estrogen and progesterone combination, and you want to go for whatever reason to progesterone only, there'll there'll be a cost to pay in terms of body composition outcomes, and um, so like all of the good things that we said estrogen does. So remember we shut down the whole axis. So if you put just progesterone in, estrogen drops, testosterone drops. So you're going to lose the benefits of those. So you're, you're potentially going to see a negative outcome over time. But if you go from progesterone only to estrogen and progesterone, you will see an increase in fluid retention likely, but your capacity in the future to build more muscle, lose more body fat is going to improve. Yeah. So that, that could be, if some people feel like shit, maybe they don't need to completely remove it. If that's a decision, like they, they know they need to stay on it, but maybe they just need to move to have that little bit of estrogen thrown in and they could potentially feel a lot better, get better results, but at the downside of potentially having that fluid retention a little bit. Yeah, I will say also like women um, considering birth control now because it's an easy thing in their relationship. And I'm not trying to be like social justice warrior or feminist on you, but um, like it, it's way worse for a woman. Somehow socially we've landed this where like women just take birth control, men don't really don't really bother, you know, like the pills yeah. is the easy thing. Um, there's a much greater like physiological consideration for a woman to take a, a hormonal deployment like this rather than a man just getting the snip if you're in a long-term yeah. relationship or just using a barrier method like a condom. It's far better than any of this, all the barrier methods for women. So really I would just encourage men to take the responsibility for, for this if, if that's yeah. where you are. But if a woman is already down that road, then yeah, refining the deployment like the addition of a DHEA or like moving to a combined option, definitely moving away from the depot Provera if you're there is a smart move. Yeah. So the... So it's simply just a barrier for the coil and that's, it just simply blocks any sperm yes. from entering the, the tube. Okay. I, I thought it somehow it had the same effect. It just like released hormones there's or whatever. A, yeah. There's, there's, there are hormonal IUDs. So. Okay. Right. Okay. 
you can think of that as like a super long estered molecule. It's like basically a really reduced cleave rate into the blood. You yeah, know? okay. They, they, yeah. they do exist. But you'll see the one that goes under the arm quite commonly. Yep. So that, that's a hormonal birth control. It's essentially like we're talking about here. It doesn't only come in pill form. Sorry, I should yep. have I should have clarified that. Um, so you can get a combined IUD or a progestin-only IUD. Yeah. And that has the same effects, obviously, but it's just the delivery method is going to be different basically than taking the pill. Yeah. Generally the longer, I was going to say longer rested, but they're not esterified. The longer acting analogs yeah. are, seem to have the greatest net catastrophic effect. I don't want to use catastrophic because it's not catastrophic, is it? But um, they have the greatest effect as compared to the, the smaller pill based, shorter acting deployments. Yeah. Yeah, so that would be the equivalent of, for example, a bodybuilder listening to this now and um, taking fast stuff. If they start to get side effects, they can get it out of their system quicker than if they've got the long stuff. So if they take yeah, the pill women, versus, yeah. Women, because um, a huge thing with my consultations with women is, you know, I've got this virilization. I, I only use some primobolin for four weeks, but they used a primobolin in Nancy, so they didn't really use it for four weeks. The, the androgen exposure time was very, very long. Um, yeah so it, it would be equivalent to that you know yeah yeah okay so there's a lot there's lots to consider man and like really when you when you look at it it, it shouldn't be a decision made at 15 or 16 realistically should it where they, they just go in and they're like yeah i'm gonna start having sex i don't want to get pregnant like give me what you've got and the doctor just gives them what they have available or what they personally like for whatever reason. It should be more of a consultation on the long-term risks, the, the actually how they work. Like in this 45 minutes or whatever we've been on here now, we've probably shattered a lot of beliefs around it. People just take it without knowing what they're taking a lot of the time. They know it's estrogen or progesterone or um, one or the other, but it's they don't really think about the effects. They just know how it works in the body in terms of how they feel. Yeah. The, um, the main thing to note is that the ease of access makes it seem inconsequential. Yeah. You know, when we've got this um, propaganda around anabolic androgenic steroid use, don't know if propaganda is the right word, but you know, for the I remember the first time I took steroids, I thought it was crazy. You know, I, I was, like the amount of adrenaline I got from this, like, oh my God. And I'm not comparing taking birth yeah. control with um, anabolic steroids. But let's say I was just using like a, a replacement dose of, of androgens, very, very similar. Um, but this whole thing is like unbelievably, it seems like a huge deal. Shutting down your own HPG axis seems like a big deal. But it's the ease of access for women that's all very normal and socially accepted that makes it seem very inconsequential when it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you think about it, like you're talking about the same things. If you go to the doctor for TRT or you go to your doctor and tell them, listen, I'm taking this little bit of testosterone, nine, nine out of 10 doctors will probably say you shouldn't take it. It's bad for you. But they're the same ones who are putting 15 year old girls on these replacement hormones, right? Just to stop them from getting yeah. pregnant. Yeah. So I'll compare that to the putting a female requiring testosterone replacement therapy. You know, so many of the girls I work with, let's say they're, They've been through multiple diets, you know, they've been through multiple contest preps. They've been in hypocaloric environments for extended periods of time. And now their HPO axis function is in the toilet. Um, 
And the problem is like, if they gain some body fat and if they stay at a higher body fat, you know, eventually their testosterone will kick back in. Note women that testosterone is the most abundant sex steroid hormone in women. So, mm-hmm. you know, don't think of testosterone as a male hormone. It's just, you know, it's the most abundant. It's, you've got more of it than anything else. You've just got less than men, basically. Mm-hmm. The ratio is different. Um, so let's say you've got this big attenuation, so it's massive reduction in all of these sex steroid hormones. The problem is with competitors is they're not going to gain body fat and stay there. They're going to compete again and again and again. And it's far healthier for these women to be on some kind of hormone replacement therapy that includes testosterone. Now see what your doctor says if you go and ask them for testosterone as a female. This is, But to them, that's malpractice. But giving out birth control is fine. Yeah. That's good. That's crazy. You know, unfortunately, a lack of understanding, which, you know, I don't expect a GP to know everything. You know, I'm not asking every GP to be 100% up to date on every bit of literature on endocrinology and on the planet. But even just a basic understanding of hormone function, I think we need um, yeah. when it comes to giving people what they what they need. Yeah, yeah, 100%, man. So, I mean, I think this has opened a lot of eyes to what people need to consider with that. Um, I think, like you said, the probably the biggest takeaway is that if you can put the responsibility on the man to just fucking wear a condom or if it's past the stage where you've had multiple kids and you're done, you don't want any more kids, just get them to have the snip rather than you go back onto it. Because like you said, it's a lot easier for us to get that done than, or to wear a condom than it is for a female to really fuck with their physiology and their internal stuff rather than us just put something on the external. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But men, it's a call to you <laughs> to, to, yeah. to take charge and, and take care of your partner, you know, it's important. Yeah, yeah. And I think this will be a good episode for coaches as well, because there's quite a few listeners to this who will maybe not have thought about how this can affect body composition. Because I don't know, we've talked about competitors a lot, but it's still relevant for gem pop. They're still going to get fluid retention. They're still going to get all the the downsides of the progesterone and everything that we spoke about, it's just maybe less of a burden to the physique side than what it is for a competitor, but it's something that everyone should look at. So whether you work with gem pop or whether you work with competitors, there's something you can probably take away from this episode with Joe here. It's, it's, it's a big episode. So man, I, do you think there's anything else we need to cover or have we covered it all? In terms of birth control, I think that's any more than that would probably be a bit of brain frying, but, I think if we if we get together in the future and this leads on to female PDs because they are yep. very much in the same category and like the basic understanding of this leads you on to understand that really well. So this could be um, part one of another part of female hormone function that could that could flow nicely. So that that's definitely enough for now on the birth control side of things. Yeah, hundred percent, man. And I think it's just whets people's appetite a bit for what may may come on both the the male and female side with the PEDs that we've spoke about. And I do want to get you and Dean and Callum, who people will know who is my coach on for a round table about mass building as well. Cause people will know who follow Dean, follow Callum and follow, follow you. Like there's some incredible gains going on. And I think people will really dive into that. So I think we'll do a couple of round tables and maybe we'll get a couple of solo episodes, Joe, if you've got time for it. 
Um, yeah. I know you love the podcast, so I, we'd love to get you back on for more. Yeah, I do love a podcast, man. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, man, always down. Speaking of which, let's uh, let's shout out your two podcasts then again. You mentioned OPD at the start, but what about Carbscast? you got to give Christian some love here as well. Yeah, so so like you said, I've got two podcasts. One is Optimal Physique Development. I do that with Austin Style. That's very much bodybuilding-centric. People that want to nerd out on bodybuilding stuff go there. We do loads of Q&As. We've got guests. It's been going for years and years. I think we, we must be on four years of weekly wow. podcasts now. Um Love Austin to bits. Been going on a long time. Learned yeah. a lot. Um, you can find that at joejeffreycoaching.com, which is my old website. I need to make it optimalphysiquedevelopment.com or something. Um, <clears throat> and then if you've got nothing better to do, I do another podcast called <laughs> Carbscast, which is not really topic-based. It's just like me and one of our best mates, Christian, just talking like we would talk anyway, but we just record it. And people seem to like it. So it's that's good, man. Yeah, it's food and Q&A and just, you know, it is literally just a chat, but people seem to have um, enjoyed it. So it's at carbscast.com if you want to listen. It's something completely different, I think. It's it's obviously a little bit bodybuilding related because it's bodybuilders talking about their favorite foods. But I find it's good, you know, when you're, you've been listening to a heavy educational side of things or all bodybuilding style podcasts. And then Carbs Cast just comes up. You just listen for 50 minutes of you guys talking about your favorite food or like, would you rather eat this or that? Like, it's it's just easy, chill listening, especially when you're like driving to work or something. It's just, it's a good listen, man. So good work on both of them because I, I do subscribe to both of them and have for a while. So guys, go check them out. They're, they're good value. And if you, if you like Joe's stuff here, you will definitely like the OPD. But if you want something very chill, go check out Carbs Cast as well. Yeah, man. Joe, shout out your Instagram, buddy, and people can follow you. Hopefully, they'll screenshot this and tag you as well as me, and we can get these shared and get this out there. Yeah. So my my work Instagram is at Joe J O E underscore Physique Collective. Um, if you guys like dogs, follow <laughs> at Slug and Moose, which are the name of my two dogs. So this is what I do. Outside of my professional life is we do dog sports, dog training. Nice. I will actually go and follow Slug and Moose right now. <laughs> yeah, I just put some videos up yesterday of Hunter, which is our staffy, but he's a very special staffy. You don't see many staffies in the sport. The sport is IGP, so you don't see many staffies, but he's um, he's very unique. Got him doing some protection work on there. If you guys like dogs, have a look. Nice. I'll, I'm going to go and follow me and I'm sure we got lots of dog lovers on here. So um, you could be getting hit up with uh, screenshots of the podcast and uh, slug and moose tagged instead of your main page. That's, that's my life outside of bodybuilding. Two, nice, I think two of the most expensive hobbies you could pick and the yeah. most time costly hobbies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 100% man, 100%. And I'm sure people will go and follow and they'll enjoy it as well, man. But Till till next time, bro. I think I'm gonna to try to get you guys on at the end of end of May for another episode if we can have hooked the times up. Um and we'll we'll dive deeper into the female female hormones part two essentially with um all the different pathways that you can stimulate with female PEDs before you actually get into your traditional anivar and heavier cycles, which is the go-to for people with 
And, you know, I've listened to you talk about it and there's so much that you can think about before that, which would be a, a great episode as well. Yeah, dude. Cool. Sounds good. Awesome. Thank you, buddy. And I will see you very soon. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me, man. Thanks for joining me on today's episode of The O Show. If you know somebody who needs to hear this episode today, please share this with them via message or on social media. Don't forget to also take a screenshot and share it on your story and tag me at Oren Macari so we can continue to grow the podcast and help more people change their lives with the advice given here. Also keep the five-star reviews coming over on iTunes as that helps people who normally wouldn't listen to the show find it and get the O Show in their ears and drive the podcast forward to help more people around the world with the advice here. Have a great day and I will speak to you soon.